Broadsheet Radio. Welcome to Shared History. History, making the good times last longer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what ad campaign that's from? No, is that not true? It's not Trojan, is it? KY Jelly. Yes. (laughs) I was so ready for a Trojan slogan that I had not even thought to consider that we could go KY Jelly. Hey, listeners, it's episode 69. (laughs) You're probably wondering why we're being so sexy. And that's why, because we're children. And Natalie texted me and said, Cass, next episode is 69. And I immediately started giggling before she even replied with, we have to do a sexy episode. <laughs> because we're adults and we're very mature. Something also... tells me this is going to be less sexy and more snickery 13-year-old boy, <laughs> which is not sexy at all. I had such a hard time choosing a topic for that reason that I kept finding things that were interesting, but I know that my maturity level wouldn't uh, allow me to discuss them or tell the story fairly because I would be giggling. So this is going to be a long episode, guys. Strap in. It's going to be a long episode. (laughs) Strap Strap in. in. Strap Strap on. on. (laughs) I picked one specifically so that I could just be the most immature. I did this to tickle myself. Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, self-pleasure is very important. I had such a difficult time choosing a topic because I just kept running into things that had a more serious edge and then I was like well I can't I can't oversimplify this and giggle throughout this whole thing so we'll see how I do (laughs) it's a journey and we're all here together um Natalie before we start uh have you have you had any discoveries maybe any (gasps) sexual discoveries or inappropriate discoveries um mine's kind of a rediscovery so i'm glad that you asked there's uh i like many humans out there have really fallen off on keeping up with the podcasts that i used to listen to all the time and so when trolling for inspiration for this podcast you know as my foreplay for recording this (laughs) podcast i went back and i listened to a couple of episodes of the history of sex podcast that i hadn't listened to and some that i had before it's a, a podcast by bt newberg and it's lovely and there's a lot of really fun music edits in there and like needle drops that just bring me absolute life but there he does a whole series on like sex in the third reich um oh god fascinating and a deep dive i know that you'll enjoy this cast there's an episode on male witches from this <gasps> summer Ooh. there's a uh and in the spirit of 69 there's an episode there's a whole series on oral sex and why humans be doing it and what other animals if any do do the nasty in that way so give, i highly give recommend a few, it give me a few animals just off the off the cusp um to perform oral sex uh, i mean like bonobos are down for everything that's a primate right yeah it's yeah. it's only only mammals only other more mammals. like boner bows <laughs> only other mammals perform oral sex on each other and it's also only the placental group of mammals what is placental no you know what we don't need to get into that if you want to learn all about that you can listen to the episode on the history of sex that is all about it because bt newberg did better <laughs> research than i ever can and will <laughs> You discovered um, so many way to plant your flag on that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for bringing us all of that. You're so welcome. Um, I discovered me personally. Uh, shout out to her sister pod under the kilt, uh, co-hosting 
yours truly, not me, but Natalie, and love of our lives, Adam McNamara, uh, you had a guest on talking about uh, porn shops. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Video uh, nasties. Video nasties and how that affected, like, the film industry in the UK or, like... Yeah, how VHS... Uh, releases affected the film industry in the UK, how porn fucking was like, hell yeah, a VHS release. <laughs> uh, and how the crackdown on video nasties and kind of villainizing of vil vilifying, of, that's a word, vilifying of them by the powers that be uh, wrecked a lot of small business owners who happened to just have video shops with like two porn titles in them. So even though your guest did all that research, I'm claiming discovery of yeah, it. Yeah, hell yeah, do it. Do that. That's what history is all about. History yeah. is all about, you know, like James D. Watson and Francis Crick being like, no, no, we discovered the double helix. Pay no attention to Rosalind Franklin standing behind us doing jumping jacks. <laughs> Making our good time last longer. Yeah. <laughs> Natalie, are you ready for today? I'm so ready. I mean, I would prefer a little bit more foreplay, but like I can make myself ready. I just, I know that this is going to be a very long, hard episode to edit. So, you know, too much foreplay. I feel like we're going to get a little teasing, a little foreplay throughout. The we're going to really make this last. I really want to draw this out. I want both of us to be sore later. <laughs> Natalie, where are we? When are we? <laughs> oh god we when are we all over the place uh where are we also largely all over the place i'm gonna start in france we're spending a lot of time in europe i apologize in advance i flip-flopped all over the place trying to decide what to talk about and ultimately researched two topics because i'm a generous lover so i can give you two for the <laughs> i give you two for the price of one but I'm worried that they'll be too long. So I also feel like I should just give you the choice of a tale of the D or a tale of the V. I couldn't choose between the D or the V. Give us the V. We don't get enough V. Okay. Okay. This is me scrolling past the D. Once you get past the scrolldom, it's... <laughs> that was a bad scrotum <laughs> No, it was perfect. Maybe I'll record the D uh, and I'll put... I'll put Tales of the D on uh, our Patreon. I just know I'm going to make too many bad dick jokes and there's going to be enough in, uh, in when I start talking. Okay, so the, the, tale of the, the tale of the D kind of dovetails nicely into the tale of the V. Um, and the tale of the D was just, I can boil this down to, have you ever heard, of, did you know that they conducted impotence trials? No. Okay, so let me, let me keep the D time real brief which is its nature uh ah! in the 16th and 17th century france and actually as early as like 14th century france you could be called before the court and basically demanded to get a boner it was because one of the only ways that you could get an annulment from the church was if as a woman was if your husband was unable to perform your <clears throat> husbandly duties oh okay i guess i i guess i did know about that kind of yeah so uh Basically, you would be called before, I, I don't remember who the first jury was, but then you could appeal if they were like, oh no, if the, basically if the findings were not in the male's favor, uh, he could demand a trial by Congress, uh, during which he would have to perform penetrative sex to prove that he could. Uh, and everything would be measured and inspected from like the... From the shaft to the tip? <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, from the the elastic tension and natural motion to the <clears throat> emissions. So you could do the Sounds nasty messy. and still lose your case if it was determined that your emissions were not up to snuff. Wait. <laughs> oh, the emissions. I was going to say, yeah. it's like, if they just think you're like, oh, he doesn't look like he's good at sex. Yeah. He definitely didn't do that. Look at that technique. Look at that form. Yeah. Uh, all of this while, like, a, a panel of, like, priests and midwives are just watching you. Watching you and your, <laughs> at this point, probably very estranged and not happy with each other wife. 
Uh, yeah, you're not. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm glad we skipped the D. <laughs> yeah, and then all of, of course, all of this would be published in the tabloids because the yeah. women uh, who had the money to start an impotence trial were almost all from arist- uh, the aristocracy. Yeah. I just hope y'all don't think just because I'm gay, I want to skip the D. Like, that has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. <laughs> I just want to get to the V. Well, so that's what brings me to my tale of the V. Naturally, if it was determined that the woman was not a virgin, like, the entire case of an impotence trial would be thrown out, and the man would win regardless of, of boner production. Which brings me to the tale of the V. Virginity tests and how screwed up they are. Oh, this this is not going to be sexy. It's not going to be sexy, but it's not going to be sexy, but it's going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> after I get the initial uh, disclosure and acknowledgement out of the way that virginity tests have, are, and always have been bullshit uh, and also are designed to target and oppress and abuse women. And ain't nobody checking on a man's virginity. And they still happen around the world today. And not even like, yes, there. it's a, an oppressive technique in cultures worldwide. And not the ones that you're immediately thinking of as oppressive to culture. Because in 2017, there was reports of doctors conducting virginity tests or acquiescing to conduct virginity tests in like Canada. So... Cool down with your jumpings to conclusions about where these are happening. Also, everyone, just go Google hymens, all right? Some people aren't even born with hymens. Like, yes. you, cannot, you can be born without one. There are different shapes and kinds to them, perforated, all that bullshit. They can break doing a deep squat. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the whole, like, Oh, she didn't have a hymen. She's a blah, blah. go do your research. Men, go do your research. I think it's yes. probably more important that men do that. Than that. Yeah, <laughs> humans with with the D go do the research. Uh, yeah, in 2017, 45 out of 288 obstetricians who were surveyed admitted that they had been asked to do some kind of virginity testing or restoration, and at least 13 of them admitted that they had complied with the request. Also. Not to mention that, like, they're proven to be, like, physically, psychologically, and socially devastating to the examinee and are almost always non-consensual and sexually abusive. Yay! Uh, Also, just the proliferance of them in areas affected by European colonization and Europe itself perpetuates a feeling of, and also the whole idea of them perpetuates the idea of, like, compulsory heterosexuality in history because like does that mean that lesbian sex isn't sex and that all lesbians who have not had penetrative sex with a man are still technically virgins like it's just opens a whole a whole can of worms however that's not about the can of worms uh i just want to talk about some super fun virginity tests <laughs> and like some light history of virginity testing the earliest accounts coming out of egypt greece rome and of course early christianity um but it's important to realize that you probably heard me say like egypt well they were pretty sexually progressive greece rome they were fairly sexually progressive from i mean my previous tales of the banquet of ches- chestnuts but uh, virginity, we don't know what the virginity, what how they were testing virginity or what quote unquote virginity they were testing because virginity doesn't carry a universal definition, and it definitely didn't like in pre-Christian societies because it didn't necessarily because those societies didn't care about celibacy. There are Amazonian tribes that like as part of a rite of passage, you had sex with like multiple partners and then like the first one became your spouse or whatever so take that with a big horny grain of salt actually you know what i take that back take that with a big horny grain of ancient free loving untempered by colonialism salt (laughs) which is of course my favorite variety of salt just really makes eggs pop um that (laughs) i regret that uh but here's a, here's an account by our good old friend Herodotus, which hasn't been necessarily historically proven. So there's your little asterisk. But he mentions in one of his texts that the women of the Amazons of Scythia, Scythia, 
weren't considered women until they had killed a man in battle. So they were considered a virgin regardless of sexual activity until they did a murder. And, and then once not a virgin, they were regarded as pure and ready for marriage. So that flips a thing on its head. Ooh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. A l- another little historical segue. Cass, why, why do you think that virginity has oft been a sought-after thing? Um, <clears throat> so that you can prove that the offspring is of your lineage. Yes, uh, guaranteeing a legitimate heir is a huge, huge motivator behind it. Um, Also, in agricultural societies, it was just it was a way for like farmers who had a lot of daughters to basically commoditize their daughters. Um, Mm. In the late 19th century, there was a myth that sex with a virgin could cure all of your diseases, such as all of the venereal diseases you yourself (sighs) had from all of your sexing and gallivanting. That actually, I should mention, wasn't wasn't limited to the 19th century. That's like just when it just started. It's still a lasting myth in a lot of areas that were colonized by Britain. Um, and, you know, naturally uh, progresses and leads to <laughs> child rape. So because where do you find your virgins? Um, here's a fun motivator for saving money, state government money. Uh, that's recent. In 2003, a Jamaican parliament member proposed virginity tests for schoolgirls to combat unplanned pregnancies and thus save the state money on having to like provide support and everyone else is like or like comprehensive sex education it is scientifically proven not scientifically but like research driven proven that access to like safe access to reproductive health facilities and comprehensive sex education lowers uh, abortion rates, lowers uh, teen pregnancy, unplanned pregnancy. So y'all pro-birthers, I'm not going to say pro-lifers, pro-birthers, start talking about sex more and you won't have to picket line at fucking abortion facilities. And also, like, as I get into all of what I'm about to get into we all just need to talk about sex more because some of these virginity tests are the best historical pseudoscience I have ever read. And some of them make me want to uh, curl up and die uh, because careful, careful people with vaginas, a man can always find you out. Because in sometimes in cultures, you know, a, cl- a, a slightly bloodied sheet post-coitus was all that was needed to confirm a woman's virginity. But oh no no, in another tale from our friend Herodotus, the, in the festival of Ibia, they would send chariots of young maidens into battle with each other, and they'd fight to the death. And if they survived, that meant that they were virgins and they had gone into battle pure. <sighs> but wait. There's more. Oh, no. There's a ritual written of by Roman writer who, okay, the name was spelled A-E-L-I-A-N, which I'm reading is alien, and I refuse to <laughs> admit that's anything else. So where am I wrong <coughs> for this one? When am I, like, 175 to 235 CE was when this writer was around. Um And they state that on fixed holy days, women bring barley cakes in their hands with their eyes bandaged to the lair of a snake. So they roll up to the snake's house. They got their eyes bandaged. They got little barley cakes in their hands. And then once inside the lair, divine inspiration will guide them straight to the serpent without stumbling. And if they are a virgin, the snake will accept the food. And if not, it will remain untasted. And everyone will know that it was untasted because ants will, like, carry parts of it, like, back out of the cave. First of all, I've never had a snake, but I can't imagine that they're, like, noshing on barley cakes that often. So, I just, this, just so many that problems. Feels, that feels very much like witch tests, you know, tie up and throw you in a lake. If, <laughs> if you drown you were not a witch and like sorry you're dead oh oh darn and if you float you're a witch so we're gonna drown you. 
Yeah. It's like you cannot win. It doesn't seem like you can win if you're just stumbling blind into a snake's lair and trying to get it to eat something it doesn't fucking want. Cass, we have to take an ad break. Fair enough. But we're a history podcast, so we have to infuse this interlude with some tasty, tasty facts. Okay. Oh, tasty facts. Like brewing beer using hops became a standard practice as a result of early drug laws in Bohemia. Ah, yes. The Reinheitsgebot Law of 1560. I remember it well. Now that hops are no longer a legally required ingredient in beer, welcome to the future, our friends at Herbiary have taken it upon themselves to release your taste buds from the cages of convention. They've experimented with over 200 different herbs and botanicals, building on the rich tradition and fermented folklore of hop-free brewing. Learn more about their delicious section of brews and where to find them at herbiary.com. 13th century, I hope you like pee because that's how they're going <laughs> to test your your virginity if it's clear sometimes quote white and sparkling you're a virgin so if you pee perrier you're a virgin so if you hydrate you're a virgin. yeah if you hydrate you're a virgin because apparently corrupted women had quote muddy urine because of their broken hymen and the fact that male sperm will appear on the bottom so i have no- i have some notes uh, <laughs> i have thoughts there's other 13th century pee tests because 13 13th century couldn't stop touching each other's pee uh they tell you that when your lady is peeing to listen for a subtle hiss because apparently if you're a virgin you urinate with a subtle hiss uh and also apparently take a longer time to pee so have you ever seen the movie for a good time call no it's one of my favorite movies uh and it's it's basically it's a it's a brilliant setup it's a rom-com about these two girls who hate each other but they're forced to live together because they can't afford rent and so in order to um pay the rent they start a phone sex line and (laughs) but it's brilliant because it's like it's like a buddy story it's a best friend story but they use all the tropes of like a rom-com love interest and they play into it and it's like their love is friendship but they hit all the tropes it's so sweet but in the beginning they hate each other and one of them's going to the bathroom she's like do you mind if i come in she's like what no and then she looks her she goes oh katie sounds like someone has a uti she goes you can't hear a uti (laughs) (laughs) um well, the same the same text that includes the gem of the P test uh, also says that if a if a uh, woman's breasts point downward, she's been corrupted. Um, it also says that if you miss the signs, you know, of the clear sparkling P and hissing P, it literally just sounds like somebody's like opening like a sparkling water. Like if it sounds like <laughs> when you oh, pee, no. then you're a virgin. Um, but if or you miss been those... holding it for a long time and it's just like, yeah, nope, Plug that gates. means that you're corrupted. Um, if, if historical gentlemen, uh, you miss this sign, um, you can also, and, and you choose to have sex with, with a woman anyway, you can tell if she was a virgin or not, because if, <clears throat> if you don't. And the, if the deed wasn't difficult to perform and ca- didn't cause a sore on your penis from difficult entry, uh, that could also indicate that she's a loose lady, apparently. So when I said we're going to all be sore at the end of this, that good, that's, that good, that's good. It means our purity is intact. Um, Ugh. here's a, here's another great, uh, pseudoscience one, uh, in addition to being sent to fight for your death to prove your to prove that you're a virgin by surviving, you can all they might also cover you with a piece of cloth and fumigate it with coal and watching to see if you can smell it or not through your nose and mouth because apparently if you can smell it, you're not a virgin. Also, you might pee immediately, so <laughs> pee comes back. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is courtesy of Niccolo uh, Fellucci, Fulcucci, a 15th century Italian physician. All right, so, Nikki. Yeah. Uh, then in the 14th century, this man isn't even a physician. This is just a writer. John of Trevisa is telling people to put a magnet under the head of their betrothed and or wife and if she's chaste it'll make her suddenly embrace her husband and if she's not it'll cause a frightening vision and she'll get out of bed and also probably pee herself i don't know i feel like everything leads to urine with these also they're making all this shit up it's like they didn't want people to be virgins like yeah. they're they're kind of setting you up to always fail uh, a more modern folkloric virginity test from the american south uh, in like rural black communities was test, uh, collecting a man's earwax on your fingertip and pressing the fingertip to a woman's vulva. And if she cries out in pain, she's a virgin because it means that she's not been touched by like any male fluids, I guess. Your fluids should not hurt me, sir. Yeah. Your earwax <laughs> should not cause me physical pain. But also, please don't, doctor. please don't put your earwax on my vulva. A small ask from me. You know, I know in old, 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 old times, they they didn't have the science. Like, no matter what they were trying to heal or learn about, they're going to get it wrong. They're going to have weird shit. Like, we got to put pig intestines on stuff or we got to whatever. They're going to be wrong because they don't have all the answers yet. They're slowly trying to find them. But I feel like if we had just involved women a little bit more in the scientific pursuit of almost anything we maybe would have gotten it a little bit more right a little bit quicker like we're still gonna be like you gotta eat like a sheep stomach yeah um in order for your harvest to be bound to fall and we can prove that because of this this and this but, but maybe like, we're not like slipping magnets under our wives heads and listening to us, them pee yeah yeah just just include us a bit you yeah. know we're here to help we're not trying to take over we're here to help look i don't want to tell you how to test your virginity um but if these all of these approaches weren't your bag there's always a good old-fashioned and deeply problematic as we've previously discussed hymen inspection which i think it was a victorian physician basically published a paper being like okay so you could test you could test hymen and dilation and if you can fit one finger up there she's a she's a virgin if you can fit two they've uh had sex before but not had children and then if they've born children like three was that was his scientific contribution regardless of the of virginity testing um if we're going down the hymen testing road because this is an educational podcast, I wanted to give you, this is actually where this entire story started for me was, um, here's a list of uh, a variety of tricks of the trade so that you can cheat on your medieval virginity test. <laughs> uh, number one, they were performed, they were usually performed by a midwife. So like try to get a really cool midwife who might cover for you because that historically would happen a lot. Because uh, midwives know this is bullshit. Like, yeah, I got probably. You, girl. <laughs> I don't know, because they were also like perched on the pillows watching all the sex happen for the impotence trials. So, uh, two, try to arrange your wedding while you're menstruating. Men don't understand anything, is the moral of that one. Men are scared of vagina blood. <laughs> yeah. Three, secretly swap yourself out with another woman. I mean, ideally a confirmed virgin or a sex worker who's like real good at, at faking their virginity uh, when it comes time to consummate the marriage. Uh, and then now I'm going to get into some beautiful recipes for you. Four, take ground sugar, the white of an egg, and alum water and mix them in rainwater in which pennyroyal and calamint have been boiled down with other herbs. Soak a soft porous cloth in the solution and bathe your bits with it. Apparently, a lot of these ingredients are astringents or anti-inflammatories, and they were thought to tighten the vagina so so that he gets that good old trusty sore. Um, <laughs> uh, 
here's another fun one to try at home. Do not try these at home. The day before your marriage, put a leech very cautiously on your labia. Blood will flow, a little scab will form after you've removed your leech, friend. And then because of the blood and the constriction, intercourse will fool the man. Uh, because you talked about eating, just like eating a sheep's stomach or whatever, you could also shove a bird's heart or a bl- pig's bladder <laughs> stitched up and containing blood up there, uh, and then it'll cr- cr- cause... These are for your good old-fashioned, like, bloody sheets test. Um, or you could take the whore's way out. Uh, sex workers were geniuses and still are. They knew that virgins were a premium, and so they were so good at faking their virginity so that they could just be forever virgins uh, and make that sweet, sweet virgin cash. So (laughs) in the book, this is a novel, The Life and Adventures of Miss Fanny Hill, 18th century, the character of Fanny tells you precisely how they do it in the sex industry. She says, quote, in each of the head bed posts, just above where the beds, just above where the bed sheets are inserted into them, there was a small drawer so artfully adapted to the moldings of the timberwork that it might have escaped even the most curious search. These drawers were easily opened or shut by the touch of a spring and were fitted each with a shallow glass tumbler full of prepared blood fluid, fluid blood in which lay soaked for ready use a sponge that required no more than a gentle reaching the hand to it, taking it out and properly squeezing it between your thighs to yield a great deal more of the red liquid than would save a girl's honor. God love them. So I just really thought that we needed to learn something from this. And if I've taught you how to cheat on your medieval virginity test, then I have done (laughs) my trick, uh, my my job. (laughs) I also realized that I'm like, yeah, sexy episode. I'm going to talk about virginity and uh, deeply... (laughs) intrusive virginity testing hey Cass yes now would you say you wear your love of Iowa on your sleeve you know what I, I would actually is it because you regularly shop at Raygun oh you mean the greatest store in the universe the most important clothing store the earth has ever seen since the early Mesozoic era the one that started in Iowa and now has stores throughout the Midwest mm-hmm. that's the one yeah, I do own a lot of Raygun products, specifically ones that brag about Iowa. So yeah, I guess I literally wear my love of Iowa on my sleeve. Cool. Just checking. Did you know that this podcast is sponsored by Raygun and that Raygun has stores in Des Moines, Chicago, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, Kansas City, Omaha, or you can shop online at raygunsite.com? Yes. Yes, I know all of that. Of course you do. Use promo code SHARE-YOU-LATER to save on your next order. You don't need to be obsessed with Iowa to shop there and enjoy their stuff. But it never hurts. <sighs> That's raygunsite.com. Promo code SHARE-YOU-LATER. You know what, Natalie? Um, I am glad you came first, went first. <laughs> I'm going to turn this around. <laughs> I'm going to... Here's the fun bits. Here, uh, that was all interesting. I believe and, all bi- all bits are fun, but yes, yes. But I'm gonna take us in a different direction. When are we all over the place? Where are we all over the place? Great. I'm going to tell you about. God, I hope. I, I just want to say for the record, I texted Cass yesterday and I said if there was ever an episode that I was concerned about us doing the same topic, this was until I took a hard left into virginity testing land. This was it. Like, if there was ever an episode that I was very confident we were going to choose the same topic. Okay, I'm, Natalie, what what do you think I'm going to talk to you about? The history of vibrators. <laughs> of dildos and vibrators and sex toys yes natalie texts me and she was like oh i'm so worried about us having the same time i was like no we're not and then i started researching i was like oh yeah we are is that what you're gonna do i i it was on the list for a long time (laughs) i i'm going to talk to you about the history of dildos Good. Um, I taught us how to pretend that we've never had fun 
and you're going to give us the history of having fun. Woo! Uh, if you've ever done improv in Chicago or anywhere, uh, you have at some point gotten the suggestion of dildo. Yes. Um, or you've had uh, some straight white dude just start talking about dildos or dicks or something. So um, this weekend at a show, uh, friend of the I was performing with former guest in front of the pod, Jim Vazella. And while I was out of the room and he was getting he asked for lines of dialogue from a movie and somebody gave him. We're all out of lube to which he. Perfectly said, what movie is that from? And then when they couldn't answer, it was like, that's what I thought. Think about what you've done. And then hit, grabbed a different suggestion. I love Jim so much. Um, okay. Dildos. Let's focus. This isn't um, about Jim. This is about dildos. <laughs> the history of dildos goes back to antiquity. 30,000 years ago. Yes. That's an old dildo. It's an old dildo. Um, so, uh, <laughs> back in the caves, um, archaeologists discovered these phallic-looking objects, what they referred to as Ice Age batons. Sure. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's um, a new euphemism for us. Yeah. But now they're, they, <clears throat> but now they're, shifting their idea oh maybe they were sex toys like there's no way we could have a dildo in the stone age in the ice age and now they're like the more we think about it like there's no other what did they think they were using them for to like fucking like con lead a marching band as like a little like majorette <laughs> like what are like batons ice age baton <laughs> well for for as old as they were they were d extremely detailed um some of them had like retracted foreskin on them, uh, piercings, tattoos, scars, very specific. Uh, they were proportionally life-size. They were smooth, polished, made from siltstone, chalk, antler bone, um, which you can smooth down. Um, you guys can't see my hand motions that I'm making, but Natalie can. Um, <laughs> And in that time, male fertility wasn't celebrated, wasn't ritualized. Um, so a lot of times you're going to see like dildos and phallic things in, you know, like uh, religious ceremonies with the Greeks, with a lot of people. But they weren't really doing religious ceremonies. They weren't, if anything, they were celebrating female fertility mm -hmm. and using it for that. So, um scholars are like yeah maybe they's maybe they's using these to feel good i like the range of specs that you've just like and options that you just mentioned i like to think that there was a uh like a cave woman who had like a little boutique whenever they were trading with other i don't know if that culture i don't even know if they were cave women but yeah. like well thirty thousand years ago women yeah from thirty thousand years ago i just am picturing a, a thirty thousand year old antiquity bespoke uh sex toy shop <laughs> and i am here for it also not only women use these so Fair. Fair you know point. what we are immediately and that's the other thing when we think of dildos we immediately take uh, we think about women we take a heterosexual spin to it compulsory heterosexuality yep um and yeah for sure. I think you just want uh, a woman to be the one who ha who's like business it was to make these yeah. bespoke. Yeah, I think I think you know we don't talk about female pleasure enough, and especially in antiquity and you know virginity tests, they don't really get to enjoy themselves a lot. So mostly this is coming from me being like, you do you girlfriend. Um, <laughs> uh, ancient Greeks had a. a so many different types of phallusi, of dildo options. Um, but one that was often used was bread. It was a baguette style called olus bokolikis. Um, but yeah, they were baguettes and they would just 
put a little olive oil on it. That sounds delicious. Yeah, lubricate. And olive oil was used um, throughout the years as lubrication. So that is just like, it is the essential. Get that extra virgin. You get that good, unadulterated (laughs) olive oil. A fun little add-on to that, since we're in that time period and we're talking about oil. Uh, People didn't wash with soap. They would wash with oil and particularly, and then like basically scrape it off. Mm. And so if you had the hots for a particular gladiator or soldier, you could pay basically to get his, uh, their like scraped uh, oil, sweaty oil, sweaty oil bits. uh, Yeah. And use it as lube for self-stimulation or in sex with your partner um as a aphrodisiac so i want gladiator sweat and oil in my i don't remember i don't remember that scene from swim fan (laughs) (laughs) oh man oh that's great um uh they would say um that husbands before they go off to war would give their wives baguettes so that they would not miss them you know like here you go babe there's also reference uh in in aristophanes play lysistrata uh which actually spike lee did a uh interpretation film of that recently um which i'm like like a modern day interpretation like that's awesome uh basically the story is uh the men are going to war all of these wars, women are pissed about it. They're like, the men are leaving. You're causing all of this strife. War is just leading to all of these bad things, commerce-wise, um, personal, all that stuff. So they decide to go on a big old sex strike. They say, we are not having sex with our husbands, with anyone, until you guys like end this war. Stop going to war. And it's one of... It's, I wouldn't say one of the first body comedies, but it's one of the earliest well-known ones. And it's full of like dick jokes and blowjob jokes and sex and all of that stuff. And they, they reference dildos in that, how they're going to Beautifully use... body. Oh, it's so great. Uh, I took People a... think that the classics are like all stuffy and it's like, no. <laughs> I took a course in college, uh comedy and literature and we read Lys Estrada and someone like was like I'm offended by this I'm like it's first of all we're in college get over it second of all comedy ancient comedy is about like a lot of it's about dicks get over a lot of it's about dicks yeah um you don't need to think it's funny but like don't throw a hissy fit a lot (laughs) of the insults and jokes in like Shakespeare is are about sex dicks and impotence so it's funny that you bring up shakespeare in his play the winter's tale he uses the word dildo and he it's actually i think it's talking about like bringing bread to someone and he mentions dildo and then makes a bunch of like penetrative jokes and stuff uh the word dildo they're not sure exactly like where we're jumping forward by the way um Shakespeare, 1520s, 1530s, and 40s. 1400s is when they believe the word dildo kind of came about. Uh, and it, it may stem from the Italian word or the Latin word, dilet o, which means pleasure, uh, kind of a bastardization of that word. Uh, so they're not sure exactly where that word comes from. But that's when it was kind of coined in in 1400 so but we're going back we're going back because boy oh boy uh in 1300s the han dynasty ancient china uh they were just doing they were doing a lot of stuff benoit balls they were filled with animal semen they had cock rings made of goat eyelids were all about cock rings oh there was yeah. a lot yep. like that that dynasty like fucking invented the cock ring yeah they had double-sided dildos all about teamwork um oh yeah they they believed that when 
they found a lot of these in tombs because they believed when you died, you you were stuck in this tomb. Like, this is where you're living. So that's why they threw all those things in there. And there were a lot of sex toys in there. And it was, you know, I want to feel good in the afterlife. Normalize throwing sex toys on to somebody's casket as it's being lowered instead of flowers. That's Thank what I'm asking you. for. <laughs> just yes. like the... It just goes thunk. <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I want to call attention to something that you mentioned very quickly because I feel like everyone needs to know about it. Hit me with it. The the goat eyelash cock rings, a innovation in clitoral, clitoral stimulation. That is all. <laughs> That's all I want to say. <laughs> I just also wanted to make sure that nobody missed the fact that you said cock rings with goat eyelashes on them. I think there were goat lit. Oh, goat eyelids, but I bet they kept the lashes. They on kept them. the lashes. Ooh, attention to detail, mm-hmm. and that's. Oh wow! Oh, I'm just thinking about that now. Damn! Look at you, Han Dynasty. It's for everyone to have a good time. <laughs> for him and for her, or for him and him, or for you know whatever. Yeah. Um. The I want to throw back to. And I can't remember which episode it was, but I had mentioned uh, Petite Mort, the little death, the little is death. what is what they would call orgasms back then. Um, so that was back French times in probably, you know, back in French times, like you know, like Rousseau and whenever he was, so like the sixteen, seventeen hundreds, probably. There was probably um, a revolution going on. It's fine. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. So jumping around again, uh, they, so they were, it says in my notes, uh, it uses the word tool and they were used for pleasure, but also, and we're going to see this throughout history of sex toys from, I'm maybe not 30,000 years ago, but when kind of science and medicine and doctoring was invented, uh, they believed a female orgasm could cause or could heal hysteria. Like, bitch, you not feeling good? Like, maybe just get off, okay? Like, uh, Pietro Aretino was a, an Italian writer, and he said, you know, when we're in, like, the 16th, 18th century Europe, all that stuff, nuns began to use dildos, 1500s, to quell the gnawing of the flesh, which... I get it. You're a bunch of ladies locked up in your tiny little cells and the only music you get is like weird Gregorian chants and you're eating shitty food and you can't use your bread as a dildo because it's crumbly and it's not, it's not good. And you know what? They gotta, they gotta do something. They bored. They, ugh, they're And sometimes for... your friends aren't available to quell your gnawing of the flesh. No, no. In kind of the 16th, 17th century, Sex toys and dildos became very readily available to the elite. Um, Even though they're very common and very plentiful, they were condoned in polite society. And there's this guy named John Wilmot, the Earl of Rochester, who was this like rake, this scandalous guy. He started importing dildos into England for this like sex club. Um, They were got found whatever and destroyed immediately uh but people needed their dildos so women started making their own dildos in england um when it became illegal going back to the greeks i saw something that said that uh, women were not allowed to use dildos the men had to use them because in a in a very masculine sense Dildos are penetrative, which is thought of as a very masculine act. So women couldn't use them. I don't know if that means on themselves or what, but men had to use them. That's interesting because I thought that like, I thought that the Greeks and their bread dildos, a large reason for it was that you would get one, you would have a bread dildo that was ideally like shaped like your partner's because they were going to be away at war. So it's like, now you have the dildo, but if you're not allowed to use it on yourself. Yeah, maybe it was the Romans, or was it? Yeah, it it says the Greeks were, despite the Greeks' apparent sexual openness, there were strict rules about who could use a dildo on whom. Oh, so I think it means women couldn't use them on men. 
Got it. So men could use them on other men. Also, the Greeks, sexual openness. There's not that presumed heterosexuality. Also, mm-hmm. like we said, dildos are not only for women, but also- a female partner should be able to use a dildo on a man. So, yeah, you know what? Uh, around the same time, oral sex was considered, you were considered active in oral sex if you were the one receiving it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because performing, and also like most of the time, historically speaking, when people are talking about oral sex, they're talking about fellatio. But uh, mm. performing it was seen as a submissive, passive act. So it's just interesting because, like, today we would be like, the active party is the one performing the act. Uh, and around this time with the Greeks, just like they have their rules of uh, of who can who can wield the, the bread dildo, they also have their rules of who can perform fellatio. Mm, interesting. You the know, more they, you know, they talked about sex. The more you know shooting star um they talk about sex a lot and so they're probably a little bit more attuned to it and you know open and i don't know vibrators so vibrators um are a lot older than people think there was there's this myth that cleopatra filled a gourd with angry bees um to use as a vibrator that may be a myth. That may not um, be a thing. Uh, but vibrators were first invented, well, invented as we know them, as a medical tool, which I've heard about and we think of as maybe closer to like the 1900s. They were created in 1734 in France. It was called the Tremosoir, and they were used to treat hysteria, which Hysteria kind of had a broad term. Um, it was women who were... That lady acting uh, funny? Hysteria. That lady having yeah. feelings? Hysteria. That lady thinking yeah. for herself? Hysteria. Uh, women with mental health issues, with depression, with the kind of idea that women would just wilt and start crying for no reason. Well, they're kind of restricted for everything. So It's a lot of pressure. I, and sometimes it's you a just lot of pressure. Yeah. So like husbands would say, or, or women would say like, I need to be treated. They would send their wives or the women would willingly go to the doctor and they would just kind of get them off. They used to do it manually. Yes. Yeah. So ah, I'm jumping ahead, but there's a movie and I forget what the guy's name is where he would just, they put a little curtain up and then he would just start like using his hands. I think it's called hysteria. I'm pretty sure the movie's called hysteria. Oh, it is. And it's with James McAvoy, isn't it? Maybe that sounds right. Maybe not. I don't know. But yeah. And so um, it kind of credits him with the invention of the vibrator. But I don't know that that's super true or in that sense. So there used to be hand crank vibrators, which kind of look like those um, like egg beaters, but there's not egg beaters on the end. Um, it just kind of gives that vibrative motion. Mm-hmm. And then there's a dildo on the end. There were steam powered dild- or vibrators. I've got a-, a list here of what sex toys have looked like throughout history. And there are some whew, contraptions. Some look fun, some do not. Some look like torture uh, devices. Yes, there's some that look like hair dryers and all of that. So in the 1730s, it does say though, that as early as the 1750s, the Tremosoir made it to the United States. And then it says, which was before the constitution had even been written. Colonists were getting down with vibrators before they got around to the Bill of Rights. Priority. Still strictly medical devices, other ways they were advised to treat hysteria at home was like riding a horse or marry a really horny man. Yep. I don't know about that. Uh, 1899 battery operated vibrators. They were sold as home appliances. Um, we'll post there's some, this, this predates probably what I'm thinking of, but where there are old ads for, yeah. For vibrators that we will post in our on our social feed at shared pod yep so it says in 19 there were also a lot of companies creating these so in 1906 american vibrator company it was an advertisement that said their appliance could quote 
Furnish every woman with the essence of perpetual youth. Oh. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, the Hitachi Magic Wand, often hailed as the Cadillac of vibrators, um, personal massage device. Uh, apparently, I guess in Japan, it's illegal to make a dildo or vibrator that looks like a penis. So that's why the rabbit was created, which was made popular by um, Sex in the City. Mentioned that. I um, recently and then uh, saw rabbit sales. Boomed. I recently saw a TikTok of a dog throwing up an entire rabbit toy. Oh no! The caption said, "Be careful when they eat the whole rabbit." And you thought it was that they ate a whole literal rabbit, and then they yeah. they they're out of vet, and the vet is like making them throw up. And uh, a whole hot pink rabbit toy comes. It's a big dog. Um, uh, in the, like, the 50s and 60s, rubber was used a lot, but that wasn't super, it, it, it melted a lot, so you couldn't put it through the dishwasher. It's hard to clean. It was all that. So then when silicone, uh, was introduced... Uh, I believe in the 70s, uh, it, it saved the structural integri integrity. Um, it is kind of closer to what we know as the modern sex toy. Uh, again, like I said, the rabbit, you can get them in all shapes, sizes, and colors. You can get them to look like little animals. You can get them to look very realistic. Um, and And now they are they're not a medical device now they are people are more open about hey people like sex women like sex men like sex straight couples can use them on each other gay couples can use them you can use them by yourself it's opening up uh what <laughs> opening up um opening up. i was thinking the same thing but i didn't want to tarnish that uh, song <laughs> uh Sex toys are now ta being talked about uh, more Freely, openly yeah. and with and with less derision. I honestly remember in because uh, I would use I used to read the newspaper when I was in like fifth and sixth grade because you're cause better I felt, than us. Yes, I mean I wouldn't sit there and read the whole thing, but I felt super cool. Um, and I remember this article that talked about like sex toys are causing bruises and it was very i didn't read the whole thing but i was like oh my god i shouldn't be reading this but it was kind of like "Ooh, you these are bad for you you shouldn't be using these um and now it's not only more open but it's encouraged um that you should enjoy sex and you should not be ashamed of that i am absolutely baffled that you have made it through the history of the vibrator and sex toy without talking about the work of art that is in the next room or the vibrator play by sarah rule because the re what is that oh oh i will i will send you my copy teach okay. me so it's a play that is about like the so I think when people credit the earliest quote-unquote vibrator to the 19th century, it's because they're thinking of like electric power, electricity powered mm -hmm. vibrators. They're not yeah. around, like you said, like they were hand cranked, steam powered, <laughs> uh, just like our choo-choo trains. But in the 19th century, there, that was when physicians, you stopped, like were like, my hands are tired, and developed the electric vibrator for treating hysteria quote-unquote hysteria uh i love how many things were diagnosed as hysteria that is like wow that's just like sexual frustration um that's just yeah it really gets to you yep um and so there's a beautiful play it's hilarious it's so good from 2009 by sarah rule called in the next room it's often called shorthanded the vibrator play and it is about 
it is about like Victorian ignorance of female sexual desire and this doctor who uh, and like his wife and his like he wouldn't treat his wife. So his wife was very sexually frustrated. Uh, and he's a special he's a specialist in gynecological and hysterical disorders. And it's about like his patients and he has a male patient he starts seeing. Um, it's lovely. Uh, and we, I just, I had, it's a good read. It's a good read. Well, we'll have to check that out. We'll put that in. Recommended in reading. Yes. Um, just finally, I've got some, I've got <laughs> just this kind of listicle of pictures of dildos throughout the ages. And they, they were, um, incredibly detailed and advanced uh there's one carved out of it it's very old it looks like it may be bronze or stone and they've got like the tip and they've got veins on it and curvature and there are ones with uh bases at the end which like they could have used that as a strap-on um there is a 2,000-year-old jade and bronze butt plug that was discovered in the tomb of a king uh, near modern-day Shanghai. And What did they try to pass it off as when they found it? Look at this tiny sculpture. Well, this is what they said. Researchers believe the butt plugs were actually used to seal certain orifices and corpses to maintain the body's chi, not as sex toys. Okay. Which... That that may Fine. have been um, an ancient ritual, or you know, but what? you mean to tell Someone me that just... there's a supply of butt plugs and nobody's using them recreationally? Someone wants to stimulate their prostate. Get over it. Um, there are they. This one does look like a choo-choo train. The the steam powered one. There is there is something that looks like a. Um, it's it's almost like a little glove, and it goes on top of your hand. Uh, and it just looks like it has a little motor, so you can do what you want with your hand, and it's just kind of vibrating your hand. There's hand cranks. Um, there are a few different kinds of hand cranks. They're the ones when they start to get to look like hair dryers and uh, springs, and it just, oh, here it is. The Oster Stimulax for barbers. Was a vibrating device you strapped onto the back of your hand to deliver powerful sensations wherever it was placed. It was marketed for barbers to use on their customers' scalps, but I guess you know people figured out uh, other things to do with it. There... The evolution of the dildo and the vibrator has come a long way, but it's been it's come a long way because yeah. it started a long time ago. Tools that we made immediately. We were like, all right, we figured out the wheel. Now we're making sex toys. They think that the the invention of sex toys came around the same time as a discovery of fire. For real. So it literally is the oldest profession. <laughs> That's prostitution. It is the oldest one of the oldest tools known to man and woman. And I don't know why, like, it's not surprising then to go through, like, you're talking about the Bronze Age. Yeah, in the Bronze Age, they would have made bronze sex toys. Yeah. And and while, yes, they, we definitely don't think they would be comfortable. Like, we talked about the Greeks. Like, they knew a thing or two about sex and pleasure. So, like... If you think about it, we can make this work. Throw some olive oil on it. Buff that shit out. It's going to yeah. be a little, you know, it's not going to be very flexible. But we can we can work with what we've got. Uh, this is not us recommending to carve any any sex toys out of a loaf of bread, though. That's Do not put bread in your vagina. Do not um, do any of this without speaking to a medical professional. Yeah, do not put foreign uh, instruments uh and that are not meant to be there in there. Yeah, we might need to put a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode. Uh, Natalie and Cass do not want you to put bread in your pussy. Yeah. Um, or your butt. That's, that's, that's really what we need to tell people. Because if we don't tell them, who will? 
Who will? We're out here to uh Everyone's rushing to Jimmy John's getting that day old bread. <laughs> it's a lot less expensive than a sex toy. But we're here to tell you as... don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Um the birds in wow. your neighborhood will never look at you the same way. Natalie, uh we're casting oh, no. <laughs> Uh, in this in this dildo, I'm gonna say uh, a a a nice pumpernickel, a nice soft pumpernickel will be cast in the role of bread <laughs> dildo. I mean, I already gave it to Jimmy John's. So. <laughs> Great casting options. I think if you uh, think it's like a sponsorship t- opportunity, that or we gotta go Panera. Uh, I think an Italian loaf baguette, kind of ooh, more of a, a hard. Ooh, you- Crusty would probably be better than a soft pumpernickel. But. You go with Panera, you can get the bread equivalent of a dildo and of a fleshlight. With the bread yeah. bowl? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Once that soup's been in there long enough, it gets kind of soggy. So, oh, Natalie. Um, I'm trying to think wow, of, we anyone, did it. of like any roles we could actually, <laughs> roles we could cast. Roles. <laughs> nope. Nope. That's it. We did it. we did it natalie we got through our 69th episode first of all listeners thanks for sticking with us this is your this is our gift to you this episode we hope that it it through 69 we hope that it left you satisfied and smiling yeah and maybe in want of a cigarette (laughs) natalie's smoking a cigarette right right now now. (laughs) um I'm sure we are going to have some amazing pictures uh, on our Instagram at SharedPod. We're also on Twitter at SharedPod. Questions, corrections, suggestions, but let's keep it cool on the emails. Um, don't send us weird shit, but yeah, if you have any, you can email us uh, at SharedHistoryPod at gmail.com. Leave us reviews too. Also, please. Uh, that's a that's a great way for people to find the podcast. And I'm just really curious to hear what people have to say about this episode. I can't wait. I want to talk to y'all. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's. Friends, <laughs> listeners, Cass, thanks for 69ing with us. <laughs> Till next time. Share. Share you later. Broadsheet Radio.